This year we are talking about, that was like, that was a prompt. This year we are talking about Back to the Future. Fantastic. Why are we talking about Back to the Future? It's getting a little bit harder now. Yes, thank you, Kayla. That we, we're trying to get back to our roots of, of the early church. You know, there, there was a dynamism, it's not even a word, I'm making it up, the dynamism. How do I say it, Jacob? Josh, Josh, Jacob? That's the one, that one. Dynamism. Um, I think in the early church, in the Holy Spirit, that's kind of got a little bit lost somewhere. And um, I think we need to rekindle some of that. We need to rekindle our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's purpose and what He wants to do in the church and through the church because every time you interact with God, there is a very, very high chance that it's the Holy Spirit that you're interacting with because He was sent to journey with us and to fill us and and when we encounter the presence of God, it's the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. It's not a it, it's a He. Very personal. And this year we've been on a great journey so far. We have uh, looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. We've looked at the role of the Holy Spirit with us. We've looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And right now we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I had this thought just before I came up on the stage. And um, do you know there's an old saying that that 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish? I like fishing. I'd like to say I'm in the 10%, but it's not true. Do you know why 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish? I think that's the answer, Pastor Michael. I think that was brilliant. They fish more often. They actually get out there. In other words, you get the rewards for where you put your time, where you put your purpose, where you put your energy. And I think it's the same when we walk with God. I think there's a lot of Christians who would be saying, well, I'd quite like that in my life, but they don't put the effort in on this end to allow that, whatever that is, to flow from their lives on the other end. But God has a plan and he's got a great purpose for our lives. And I think this passage talks about it really well. Now, I'm going to read Galatians for you tonight. I'm going to read from 13 to 26, which is quite a bit. And I thought the most powerful way to look at this was to simply read it. The NLT, the way it words it, New Living Translation is brilliant. I moved on from there and looked at the message. It was outstanding in the message. I encourage you to read it in the message. But just to be different tonight, I'm going to read it from the Passion. Because the Passion is sensational as well. Now what you need to understand, if you're kind of new to to, um, Christian things, is that there's different translations of the Bible. And why that is, is not because one's right and one's wrong. is because English is not the language it was written in. It's been translated into English. And in the New Testament, primarily from Greek. And there's some Greek words that just carry a real depth of meaning which cannot be stated in one English word. So some of the different approaches of the different translators, they pick up different nuances of the meaning. And so it reads differently. It's actually saying the same thing. It's just like shining a light from a different angle on it. You know, when you, you sometimes you have like a spotlight, you, you shine it on from a different angle and you see things that you never saw before. So that's what different translations do. So we're going, it's going to be on the screen and we're going to take our time. Now, just before I start, I'm actually really carrying a prophetic word and I'm going to try and blend the two together for you because I think 
I believe that actually they have everything to do with each other. Okay? And, uh, but we're going to start here with fruit of the Spirit. So verse 13. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. Well, that's challenging right there, isn't it? A life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants to one another, expressing love in all that we do. We could stop there and spend the rest of our lives, I think, on that paragraph. And we still wouldn't quite make it. For love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Now you understand that when Paul wrote this, he's writing into a context where he has taught the church what it is to be free in God and free in the Holy Ghost. Then some Jewish uh, teachers came in and tried to lay all their rules on top of. Said, no, no, you've got to do it this way. It's got to look like this. Certain rules have got to be in place or it's not going to work. And then so you've got this conflict happening in the church because some are going, yeah, but Paul told us to live free and be free. And now we've got these ones that said we've got to follow all these rules. Paul comes in and he goes, actually, if you continue to criticise one another and just make uh, majors out of minors, you're you're like wild beasts. What a way to put it. You're like wild beasts pulling each other apart. And at the end of the day, no one's going to win. At the end of the day, everybody's going to suffer. At the end of the day, everybody's going to be hurt. And at the end of the day, everyone is going to walk away damaged. He's saying, look, for for the sake of the gospel... Can we choose, even when we don't choose to agree, can we choose to get along? Can we choose to be positive? Can we choose to say nice things? Can we choose not to criticise? Some people feel they've got the spiritual gift of criticism. Some do. Critique. It's not a spiritual gift. Not at all. Any leader I know, can tell you the things that don't work and what they're doing. Any leader I know has the self, unless they really don't have self-awareness, knows what's not working, but actually it takes someone of greater character to come in and say, hey, and encourage, when there's evidently something that's not quite right. Let me challenge you tonight, be encouragers, not critiques. Carrying on from verse 16. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life 
from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in the way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favoured, temper tantrums, angry, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions. I think that's a mark of our age, actually, that one. Being in love with your own opinions. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behaviour. Quite a big list. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things, the list just read, will not inherit the kingdom realm of God. Wow. Why is that? It's because it's the, the natural spirit that's driving it. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. I actually said the first uh, fruit of the Spirit before was joy. I got it wrong. That was terrible, wasn't it? I was trying to work out why. I know it's love, but then I worked out the list here. Starts with joy because it just said divine love in all its varied expressions. So, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love, there, love, in all its various expressions. Joy that overflows. Wow. You imagine if the church was overcome by joy. Wow. Yeah. You can smile thinking about that if you'd like to. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Personally, I think we should scrub that one off the list. <laughs> Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless. Inspired choice of song, Ruby. They are supposed to be limitless. Limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already been, sorry, have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow him. Other translations says we must keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So we may never be arrogant or look down on another, for each of us is an original. What a great thought that is, eh? You are an original. Why don't you look to the person next to you and say, you're an original. You're an original. You know, that, that's... A, Great thought, isn't it? Some originals are really weird, but they're always valuable. 
You're an original. For each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. I think it's absolutely amazing. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about something that I was preparing for a few weeks ago. And I had a real prophetic stirring as I was preparing for it. And, um, and, and Jan and I were preparing together. And I said to Jan, you know, I feel that Psalm chapter 1 is prophetic for what we're about to do. And Jan said to me, I think you're wrong. And I went, ooh. Yeah, I, can, I saw that. I saw your face. I'm like, ooh, yeah, scary, eh? But, but I said to Jan, well, I'll have the mic, so, you know, I'll be right. <laughs> and, and, and Jan said, no, look, I actually think that God's saying, speaking to me from Jeremiah 17. And we're talking about the same event. I'm going, well, we can't both be prophetic. Surely we're about the same thing at the same time in the same moment. So we said, let's see who's right. We'll sit down and read them and, and work it out. And then from there, we'll, we'll um, decide that I was right. So someone reads like this, one to three. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day or night. They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they will prosper in all that they do. Now, I reckon that's prophetic for the church at the moment, that God is calling us to stand firm. That he's calling the church to be well planted. And if it's one thing the last two and a half years have showed us is that not everyone has stood firm and not everybody is well planted. Yeah? We all know someone. We all know people that have struggled. We all know people MIA missing in action that, that we're probably sitting with you and you go, where have they gone? They've vanished. They didn't stand firm. They haven't been well planted. Interesting. Then we looked at Jan's scripture from Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8, and it says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those. I thought, wow, that's Jan. Strong language. Oh, Oh, it's the Bible. So I looked at the word cursed because I thought that is really, really strong. And do you know what it means? It means cursed. That's what it means. Actually, it means expect a supernatural being to oppose you. That's what it means. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an unhammered, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. We were both right. Pretty good, eh? Pretty good. We're both right. I love this thought of Trees producing fruit. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Trees producing fruit. It's citrus fruit season at the moment. It's awesome. Mandarins. At home we've got lots of them. We've got mandarins. Beautiful. No pips. Lovely. Thin skins. Easy peel. Mandarins. We've got grapefruit. We've got lemons. We've got limes. And we've got lemonades. I didn't even know that was a thing until you know a little while ago. Lemonades. 
We've got those too. It's amazing. And the thing is, when I look at the fruit on the trees, I think, God, you are so generous because they're just laden. And that's just coming off Fijoa season. And if you've got a Fijoa tree, you can never eat them all, can you? Because there's just so many, even when they're little trees. God is so generous and so abundant with the fruit that is produced off a good, healthy tree. So, trees producing fruit. I'm going to carry on on this thought for a minute. Psalm 1 says this. It says, Joy, um, those are happy, they're blessed, who do not take their counsel from wicked sinners or mockers. But they delight in God's ways, meditating, pondering constantly. So in other words, by meditating, pondering constantly, they are planted or they stand firm and they are therefore watered, fed, they are constant, they always have life, they flourish and they produce fruit. Why is it that 10% of fishermen catch fish? Because they're the ones that put the energy into fishing. Why is it that some people in their relationship with God just seem to excel and develop and mature, maybe it's because they're the ones that put the effort into their relationship with God and therefore are the ones that become fruitful. Because it's those who are planted, who stand firm, that are fruitful. So the key from Psalm 3, delight in God's ways. I'm summarising, delight in God's ways and you'll constantly produce good fruit. That's great. Delight in God's ways. That's why I got you to give thanks. Delight in God's ways and you will constantly produce fruit. Wow, that's cool. Then you go to Jeremiah and it says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Their hope and their confidence is in the Lord. They are like trees planted on the riverbank. Their roots go down deep. They're resilient. They have green leaves. They're healthy. They're always producing fruit. Why? Because they're standing firm. Because they are planted. They're planted. And they produce fruit. So if I was to summarise that, I'd say that if we are to trust and obey God, we will constantly produce fruit. This is quite easy, eh, when you look at it like this? Well, easy is the wrong word. Simple. Yet profound, not easy. Trust and obey, and you will constantly produce good fruit. I'm amazed sometimes at uh, behaviours or people do something, and then they are surprised by the what they reap, the outcome. And you go, at some point, did it not make, did it not occur to you that if you do that, this is what you get? It's, it's like, it just doesn't join. But, but actually, if we're doing it God's way, we'll get the fruit that he wants us to get. Why is it so important? Because Matthew 7 tells us that anyone who listens to the teachings of Jesus and follows it is wise, like a person who builds on the rock. Anyone who hears it but doesn't is foolish, like a person who builds on the sand. When the waves come, the house on the sand will collapse and storms come. Storms come. Trials come. It's not if, eh? It's when. You know that big storm we had a while ago? There was a, there was a massive gum tree at our neighbour's place and it came down across the fences and across the road. And that storm was a huge tree, but it obviously it took a battering in the storm. And that's like life. Sometimes we take a battering. I think right now, 
this season, people have taken a battering. You've probably taken a battering. I just think about church and even talking with our team, with our leaders. And you know, common sense tells me that as we start to come out of lockdown and all these things, we should just put our foot on the gas and go for it now. But then I do a self-check and I go, you know, I'm not actually sure I've got the energy for that right now. I think I'm a little bit depleted. I think I'm struggling a little bit just to, to keep the momentum going. And then I look around the team and I look around everybody and I go, I think everybody's feeling a lot like me. Storms batter us. And sometimes it's not about advancing in a storm. Sometimes it's just about standing firm, being planted. And I really believe that's the word of God to the church. That's us, all of us today, is stand firm. Make sure you're planted. Make sure you're planted. The season for running will come again. But right now, make sure you're planted. Standing firm. How do you, how do you plant? How do you ensure that you're planted? I, I think it's, it, it's not too difficult to make sure you're planted. You, you've got to make your relationship with God your priority. What's that look like? It looks like conversations. It looks like getting into the Word of God. Oh, but you know, it's, it's a long book to read. Go for, go for um, you know, smaller regularly than big irregularly. Go f- just, you'd be amazed what a paragraph, how it can speak to your spirit or just top you off. Just make sure you're taking things in context. But, but you'd be amazed if you just spend some time in there regularly, how it fuels your spirit. It's amazing. Church is good. Church is God's idea. You know, sometimes we go, this is crazy. Bunch of people doing all this stuff from all over the place doing these things. So we love, it's God's idea. God says, no, no, I, I want you to gather and I want you to come together and you're all so different. And Jesus is looking going, oh, this will be awesome. You watch, these two will get together and then they're going to rub each other up the wrong way. <laughs> Perfect opportunity for the fruits to come out. If you've never been rubbed up in the wrong way in church, you just don't come enough. Because it'll happen. It will. It will. God's idea. Amazing. But what it brings me to, we stand firm, but then let's just go back to Galatians, is it's all about this age-old spirit of, um, age-old sort of question of, by my spirit, says the Lord, which is about freedom, or by the rules, which is actually about legalism. And I think... Well, the answer is obvious, it's by my spirit. But I think this passage makes it really clear, this passage of being Galatians, because legalism, legalism is really saying, God, we don't trust you, we don't need you. If you really boil it down, that's what legalism is saying. No, God, we don't trust you, we'll do it our way with rules. That's what legalism is. It's about rules, it's about doing... Uh, and. It's about human effort, but it tells us very clearly that that's not the answer. Freedom, on the other hand, in the spirit, is God's way, but it comes with huge responsibility because it makes it equally clear that we don't have freedom for freedom's sake. We have freedom for love's sake and for loving one another. That's why we have freedom. The Holy Spirit's empowered me to live in a way that produces these fruit, which are going to become a sign to those around me of God's love. That's why we have freedom. So important. 
So I see that there's kind of three choices when we read through the scripture. We can go, actually, I want none of this, and taking into the, con- uh, the context of the scripture, I want none of this, so I'm just going to stick to the Mosaic law, the law that Moses got. And we could do it that way. The, the scripture says, if you're going to keep part of the law, you make sure you keep it all. Don't just, you can't keep part, it's all or nothing. So if you're going to keep part of it, keep it all. But here's the deal, Christ superseded the law. Jesus, that, that's why our hope, our faith, our trust is in Jesus, because he superseded the law. Doesn't mean the law doesn't exist. Doesn't mean it's not important, but Jesus is greater. He superseded it. So in a sense, if we chose the law, we're rejecting Jesus. We're rejecting his provision and we're choosing legalism. If we want to do it that way. The second way to do it is the flesh, our own spirit, our own motivations, our own um, sort of willingness. But the, the, the scripture again, it says very, very clearly that this leads to behavior that will forfeit our inheritance of God's kingdom. That's pretty serious. So we don't want to do that. That's pretty much everything that's wrong with the world. It's because it's coming out of a human spirit, which at the end of the day, is going to be governed by selfishness, amongst other things. The third option is by God's Spirit. By God's Spirit, which will produce fruit that represents the culture of heaven. And it goes on to say, the more, the better. The more of that, the better. You see, the problem is, if we try to do it out of our own spirit, you might have a day where you're patient. Well done. You might have a day where you're full of joy or where you're loving. Well done. But you can't keep it up. You can't keep it up in your own, in your own strength, in your own practice. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like squeezing and just hoping that love's going to pop out. Graphic. Or that joy is going to pop out. But the harder you squeeze, the less joy. (laughs) That's not going to happen, is it? It just, it's not, is it? No, Sheridan, it's not. No, that's right. It's not going to happen. Could get really messy. There's not going to be joy, peace, patience, kindness, or virtue. When we walk closely with God, the result is the fruit of the Spirit. When we put the energy in at this end of the equation, we get the fruit and spirit out. The 10% of fishermen put a lot of time into their fishing, into their preparation, into their knowledge, into their planning. And what do they get out the other side? They catch 90% of the fish. When we push into our relationship with Jesus when we're in the word of God when we're really facilitating and working on life in the spirit what will come out will be the fruit of the spirit does it mean you'll never get it wrong no I think that passage makes that pretty clear as well but what it does mean is that consistently we'll be reflecting something of the nature, something of the attributes of heaven yeah. 
Because the idea of the fruit of the Spirit is not to make you a better person. It's that so other people are going to go, oh my goodness, what is it about them? What is it about them? Because you see, you and I, our job is to reflect the kingdom, is, is to represent the kingdom. If you go in the Old Testament, go back to the beginning, Jesus chose a nation. They were Israel. Their job was, because they were no better than anyone else, their job was to reflect something of the nature of God. Their job was to reflect to the rest of the world, this is what it looks like if you walk with Yahweh, the one true God. This is what it looks like. This is how he looks after you. This is how he blesses you. This is the, the, the atmospheres around your life and your world. And this is what it's been. So that the other nations would look on and go, oh my goodness, we want to worship your God. That was the point. That's the Old Testament. Real short. Then Jesus comes, dies on the cross. He, um, he's resurrected, uh, resurrected. He ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit is sent to us moves into us, lives in us, now you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the place where the Holy Spirit lives. Why does he live in you and I? For exactly the same reason as he walked with Israel. So that as we walk with him, the world looks onto the church and goes, oh my goodness, what is it about those people? Look, they worship God. They worship the one true God and their lives look like this. That is so attractive, so powerful. That's our purpose. That's the purpose of church. And when we fall down, we get up again. And we will fall down. That's all right. Don't want to beat yourself up when you fall down. We all do that. But we can't make consistently good fruit out of our own energy. We can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit.